Good morning, everybody. Post-Easter, you still came back. It's fantastic. I was hoping that somebody would show up today, and you guys did it. You're the few. You're the proud. It's awesome. Hey, look, and you battle your way through the uh, 18 inches of snow, right, that we were supposed to have. Everybody caught that this week? I talked to some people this morning. I was like, what? No, no, 18, we were supposed to get 18 inches of snow this weekend. So, thank goodness, didn't scare you off. You still planned on being here. You didn't buy all the milk out of the grocery store. All right. So, uh <clears throat> In the summer of 1961, Vince Lombardi stood before the Green Bay Packers, the Packers who had just months, just months ago, lost to the Philadelphia Eagles in the championship game, right? He stood before them on the opening day of training camp, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football Why, Why? Why would he do that? Because Lombardi believed, you know, as a coach, of professional football players who almost won the championship and that season actually went on to win the championship, he believed that the most fundamental thing needed to be focused on. Like, you should start with where it all starts. And the most. You shouldn't take anything for granted. So he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And without the football, there is no such thing as football. All right, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the cross. And without the cross, you don't have Christianity. The sermon we're looking at today is called 1 John, probably written by John. It's a sermon that just, it's, it's, it's called spiraling. It's a literary type or overlap or, or amplification where it just keeps coming back to a point over and over and over again. And the cross represents selflessness. It represents laying aside your pride. It represents love. It's the great, greater love has no man than this. Then he lays down his life to lose yourself to lose your pride. And what we're going to learn is just like football can't be football without the football, you can't have a crossless Christianity. And when you do these themes of light and love, he keeps coming back to them. Walking in darkness means you remove that. You remove the essential, the key ingredient to what Jesus Christ is all about in the first place. Jesus is a reconciler. Like, who is Jesus? What is... He's a reconciler. He's all about relationship. And, and, and this sermon that we're going to look at called First John, he just keeps coming back to the theme over and over again. Look, you can look at it one of two ways, everybody, right? You can say, all right, Jesus is all about how to be better. Oh, it's just another, it's another religion. It's another way of life. It's another, how to be better. And you can view Jesus Christ through that lens. Oh, better. And then we can argue about, well, I'm not sure. I like this way or that seems exclusive or whatever. I don't like it. I find that offensive. How to be better. Or you can say this, how to reconcile. Oh, it's about how to be reconciled. Well, that's simplified. That's really incredibly practical. I get it now. How to be better, how to be reconciled. And in this sermon called First John, he's like, This is about how to be reconciled, not how to be better. They thought they were better. There's a group of people called the Antichrist. Now, look, you and I read that and we think, oh, yeah, Antichrist. Okay, yeah, right? For those of you who've been around for a little while, you know there was these series of movies like in the 70s and 80s. You know, I never watched them because they were so incredibly scary. I think they were called Omen or Demon or something like that. It was about this Antichrist, and it was really, really scary. So sometimes we hear that and we think, oh, yeah, those are people, right, Antichrist. I don't like it. Why do you call people outside the church Antichrist and walking in darkness? He's not. This is entirely written to church folk. (laughs) Everything you read in the five chapters of 1 John in this sermon are total church people. So what you had is a group of people, church people, church-going Christian people who said, we need to take this out of Jesus. We need to get rid of that. And instead they said, you know what? 
It's not about how to be reconciled. What this is about is how to be better. And they said, we're special people. We've had a special experience with God. We're better. We have special knowledge. Some of you might remember that a, a, a novel was written. I, had a, I never forget. I was, in the, I was in the gym, right, getting ready to go play basketball. A guy come up to me. I've known him for years. He says, hey, man, can you tell me about this Da Vinci Code thing? Is that thing totally true? And if you're familiar with it, he talks about these people called Gnostics. And they're kind of like the heroes of the story because they really wrote the truth. And the people in the Bible really wrote a lie and they reinvented Jesus. When in actuality, everybody, the Gnostics are these antichrist people that John writes about who were part, part of the church. They were in the church and they said, let's get rid of this. And what they said was, is we're better. And they mistreated people horribly. You'll see, I'll read in a minute. They were acting hateful to other people, demeaning, divisive, terrible. They said Jesus would have never come in the flesh. And when you and I hear that, it's, oh yeah, that's a theological, it's a theological point. But for them, but for them, they looked at it as this. It's like a 1980s rock star in a bad hotel room. What did they do? They trashed the room. Do you all remember that? All those stories? Anybody old enough remember? You trashed the room. They said, this planet is like a hotel room and we're all rock stars. And what will we do with it? We're going to trash it. Why? Because we're just passing through. And what we read about in the scriptures instead, Jesus Christ, think for a moment, if he becomes flesh, is that not the greatest compliment that could ever be paid to you and me? This is not the greatest compliment in the world to creation, to this planet. Oh my God, he's going to come. They would say, oh, no, 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 he trash trash, never, no. And that's why I can mistreat you and do anything I want with you because he would never grace this planet. God would never. Instead, God, out of his incredible love, how do you know God loves you? You know God loves you because he walks this world with you. How do you know that God values you? He knows because he walks this world with you. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, if he doesn't, well, he's distant, he's impersonal. And there's absolutely no way that we know that he's loving. This, this, the cross, totally changed everybody's viewpoint about God. Like the picture people had of God radically changed. And they were rejecting that and say, no, it's not that. It's got to be about how to be better, and we are better, and we're going to mistreat people because we are better, and we feel like we're special with special knowledge, and that's not the way to go. You know what? Over and over and over and over the scriptures, when it talks about Jesus, it says he's a reconciler. Like, the mission of Jesus Christ is to reconcile. Billy Graham used to say it this way. He says, you know, on the cross, Christ stretched out his arms, and he took a hold of the Father in one hand, and he took a hold of humanity in the other, and he reconciled the two together. It's his, it's his mission. And we're told that Jesus is a reconciler and he has given everybody who is his follower the ministry of reconciliation. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you have a mission. You have one mission. You have one mission according to and that is to also be a reconciler. See, it's all about relationship and that changes everything. So when someone says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How about this saying that Jesus makes? He makes it in many different points in many different ways. But here's one of the ways that's just so striking. It's like, just gets you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And some of us here are like, yeah, that's right. I believe it. And others are like, oh, man, I don't know about that. Let's, if you view it, if you view it through this lens, then you just say, oh, okay. End of argument. End of story. Got it. Makes sense. I'm with you. The whole world is with you, actually. This is what I want to talk about this morning. So let's read the scripture first. You'll find it on the screen. You'll find it on your bulletin. It is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, and it says this. This is the message we have heard from him, and we declare it to you. God is light. So light, you're going to see, represents truth. What is the truth? 
Specifically, what's the truth about Jesus? What's the truth about this? Football is football. Christianity is about the cross. God is light. God is truth. In him, there's no darkness. If we claim to have fellowship, there you go. What does the word fellowship mean? It means relationship. We claim to be in a relationship. Because Christ is always about a relationship. How do, how, do, how, how do relationships work? How do they work? They tend to work just one way. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness. So why is he saying this? Saying because, like, hey, we have a great relationship with God. We mistreat, we treat everybody, every person around us who we want to look down on terribly. But what does that matter? God doesn't care about that, right? If we claim we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying. We lie and do not live out the truth. But... If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. My relationship with God changes my relationship with other people. You can't say, I have this great relationship with God and it makes no difference. Like they're two total different categories. This is what they were saying. So my relationship with God works under certain principles. Like there's principles of this relationship and there's certain principles of all my earthly relationships and the two never shall meet. And what this sermon is about is the two are exactly the same, exactly the same. So here's the fill in uh, for you. Light is truth that leads to life. Light represents truth in the scripture. The light shines, right? What do we know about light? It gives life. Here's the truth. The light is truth, and the truth is the cross. The truth is Christ. It's the center of everything, selflessness, putting a putting aside pride, losing yourself, it's everything. And that leads to life. And what is life? It is a restored relationship. It's the way every single relationship works. The truth is, is that the cross forever changed our viewpoint of God. God is now loving. He's vulnerable. He's selfless. He walks amongst us. We have never seen that before. Have you ever heard of a story about God being scared. Jesus seemed really scared in the garden to me. If you'll read that story, if you've never read it before, before he goes to the cross, the night he's arrested, he's sweating, we're told, great drops of blood. He's very nervous. He's very scared. He's saying, Father, Father, he's praying, Father, if there's any other way to do this, rather than me just giving myself over, rather than me being totally selfish, greater love has no man than this, then he lay down his life for his friends, right? The selflessness is what we know. If there's another way, have you heard another story of God doing that, being vulnerable, being in pain? We don't read stories about God like that. The cross totally changed our understanding and our view of who, who God, who God is. This is the truth. This is the truth. He has come to reconcile our relationship. Let me read you the next scripture verse. 1 John 2, 9 to 11 says this. Anyone. You'll notice this as you read. I hope that you'll take over the next five weeks as we study this sermon. You'll read First John, only five chapters. You'll see in the beginning, first two chapters, all these claims. It's the claims of people who he calls the Antichrist, the churchgoers who were taking an Antichrist path. This is the way of Christ. They were going the exact opposite direction. He says, so here's a claim. This is what they were claiming. Anyone who claims to live in God's light and hates a brother or sister still in the dark. You can't do that. You can't, you can't make them two different categories, right? They function on the same, still in the dark. It's the, it's the person who loves brother and sister, who dwells in God's light, doesn't block light from other people. But whoever hates is still in the dark, stumbles around in the dark, doesn't know which end is up, is blinded, blinded by the darkness. 
Everybody, look, we all know this. This is the key ingredient to football. You can't have football without a football. And the key ingredient to Christianity is the cross. It's about reconciliation, which which requires selflessness, a losing of oneself so the relationship can be resurrected and restored. Right? You have a relationship. Every relationship, all of us have many relationships in your life. You know, at one point, you know, things were okay or good or great or wherever they are. All relationships hit a point where there's a problem, there's a snag, there's something, and there's a break in the relationship, right? If that relationship for you has been restored, and I hope it has, there was only one path in which restoration, true restoration, really happened. It was the way of the cross. It was through selflessness. It was you saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let go. I'm going to let go of this so that this can live again. If that relationship is still broken, if it hasn't been reconciled in your life, it's only because of one thing, because you said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hang on. I don't want to let that go. That's just the way, that's the way life works. That's the way all relationships work. There's no rocket science to that. It's just the way it is. Um, the Apostle Paul, this guy who wrote much of the New Testament, he writes a letter to the church in Rome to a group of people, and he says this. He says, the wages of sin is death. Now, can I, since we know, you know, these terminologies, terms that are used, let's unpack that a little bit. The wages of sin is death. What is he saying? Sin is selfish behavior in Scripture, total self-centeredness. So is what he's saying. Selfish behavior kills relationships. Selfish Behavior kills relationships. Oh, okay, yeah. John, please tell me something new. You're talking gravity again. Of course we know that. Anytime you have a situation in your life where you have a relationship that's broken, you can track it back to a root, and that root is selfishness. That's how relationships get broken. This is what happens. Chris and I recently took a trip to Canada. We drove to Canada. We went dog sledding. Dog sledding. You all know if you've been coming for a while how much I love dogs. So I said, let's go dog sledding. <laughs> And so we're driving, and this mainly happened through, we were in New York for a long time on this interstate, right? went straight through Albany, right? So we're driving up there, and over and over and over again, we keep seeing these signs about texting. Don't text. Wait. It can wait. Text later. Text stop. There was one, I actually, I saw this a couple times. I think it was in New York. You text, you die. You text, you die. I'm like, oh my gosh. So you have to remind us, it seems about every 10 miles, that it's not a good idea for me to stare at my phone right? Going 75 miles an hour in a car, that that might not be a good idea. You have to keep reminding me. Why do you need to keep it? Do you think we didn't know that? Do you think we didn't know that? Why are they reminding us constantly that? Why? Because everybody does it, right? And why does everybody do it? Because we're selfish. Of course you're selfish. You're driving a vehicle that weighs thousands of pounds at 75 miles an hour down a highway. This is not a good idea. This is, this is just bad. So we remind you and over again. Why? Because people, well, Chris and I watch people like driving trucks, watching movies. The whole movie, this big thing sitting up there. Just, okay, this is not good. So we go to Canada and uh, with dogs. It was great. Two hours with the dog. It had been 25 below zero. If it had been 25 below zero when we got there, there would have been no dog sledding. I would have driven all the way up to Quebec City just to see Quebec City. But it was 32 degrees, and so we went. It was just, it, it was awesome. And the next day, I said, let's take a tour of this amazing city, Quebec City, Canada. It's this awesome old city. It's a fascinating place. And so because it was the low season for visitors, we signed up for this tour. We were the only ones. It was Chris and I and the tour guide, and this guy was so packed of information. He was just going. I was like... Here's where Benedict Arnold's leg was 
wounded, right, in the war when the Canadian, when they stopped him, when he said, so that, you know, because they, you all tried to convince us to join your little project down there, and we decided not to join your project down there, right? And this is where it ended. So, oh, that was cool. And I noticed all these amazing churches, like amazing churches. There's a church there in Quebec City that has a door, and there's only seven doors like it in the world commissioned by the Pope. Four of them are in Italy. Three of them are elsewhere in the world. One of them is in Quebec City, Canada. On the outside of the door, which is attached to the chapel, is the hands of Jesus. And you put your hands in the hands of Jesus, and you push the door, and you walk into the chapel. It's amazing. I said, can I do that? He said, no. (laughs) You can't do that. Throughout the entire tour, because all these great churches, he said, he said, when we Canadians had the chance to kick the church out, we did. We took it. I didn't say anything. I didn't tell him who I was. I just let him talk. But he kept saying it over and over again. When we had the chance to kick the church out, we did it. We kicked the church out. Okay. And he's, he said, I respect the church. You know, I had all my kids baptized in the church, all this. You know, I, but when we had the chance, we kicked the church out. So finally, we're standing there at the end of the tour. The whole tour ends at this amazing church. So I said, I know, I noticed you said this a couple of times about kicking the church out. Can you tell me why? And then what did you do? He launched into two stories about how the church as an institution became radically self-centered and selfish. Two things. They did it in darkness that eventually became exposed to the light. And he said that behavior, that selfish behavior broke the relationship the Canadians had with the church. See, selfish behavior always breaks relationships. It's It's a relationship killer. This is just practical. This is just the way it works. So he said we kicked. We kicked the church out. And now you've got all these big, beautiful, phenomenal trees. He says, you know, they're turning some of them into condos. They're turning some of them into office buildings. Up. But where is it? what's the root of all this? The root of all this is to go anti that. It's say, we need a crossless Christianity. And that's really what it's all about. He says, you guys are walking in darkness. You're confused. You've become disoriented. You've had a, you've had a terrible misunderstanding about what Jesus Christ is about. It's not about how to be better. It's about how to be reconciled. It's not about your rank. It's about having a relationship with God and other people. And it follows those important principles. And so he says, you're wandering. You're wandering, you're lost in this darkness because you've taken this light out of your life and this is the truth. And if you'll put it back in your life, you will now figure out what to do and where you're going. It'll center you. And life, you'll you'll find your relationship resurrected. You'll find your relationship with God resurrected. You'll find your relationship with other people resurrected. You have become disoriented and you're wandering the wrong way. And this is what he says. And he just keeps coming back to it over and over and over again in 1 John. Now, some of you know, I shared, I don't know, about nine months ago, I, I had this, for lack of a better term, they don't know what it is, this vestibular issue. I've had this vestibular. It's like an inner ear, it's an ENT thing, it's disequilibrium or something like that. So, man, I've seen, I've seen 15 doctors now. Actually, I've probably seen more doctors now, and they can't quite figure this thing out. We're just running and running and running around trying to figure this all out. We don't know what's wrong with you. There's, there's nothing wrong with you. We can't figure it out. Well, as a part of the process... I was sent to Johns Hopkins, like one of the best hospitals in our country. And they have this special department, supposed to be the best in the nation. And I see all these neurologists, and they're going to run these tests on me and figure this out. Here's one of the tests. I go in for one of these tests, and it's a room, a small room. And inside of the small room is a smaller room. It's like a cylinder, totally enclosed. And there's a chair. 
in the room, like it's bolted to the ground. They said, we want you to sit in the chair, and we're going to turn the lights out on you. We're going to turn them out so that you can't see nothing. Like total, you're not going to be able to see the hand in front of your face. Okay? We need you to keep your eyes wide open. And then we're going to spin that chair. Now, you just hang on. We're going to spin that chair. And then we're going to stop it all of a sudden. And when we stop it all of a sudden in total darkness, because you're going to be in total darkness doing this, all of a sudden you're going to feel like you're going to spin the opposite way. So like they got me spinning like this. All of a sudden they opposite way, but you're going to feel like you're going twice as fast. So here we go. So man, they start spinning. And I'm, hang, you know, I'm hanging on. And the deal is that you've got to keep your eyes open. So the person running the test has like a stick outside, and they're like banging on it. Keep your eyes open. Keep it. And that's all I'm like. Wide open, like, relax. Right. And it's back and forth the whole time. Eyes open, right. Mm-mm. You know, and I'm just, we're going to stop it now. And they stop it, and it's like, zoom. You just go like twice as fast the opposite direction. This thing lasts like four or five minutes. They open up there and says, okay, that was all right. Now we're going to do it again, but this time we're going to spend the chair twice as fast. I right. just hanging on. I told Christos we were walking out of the hospital. That I says, you know, if I didn't have a problem walking in, I surely do have a problem walking out of this hospital. It's, 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 this is some kind of tough. But what happens is, is darkness disorients you. You can't quite figure what's going on. I need the light to come on. It's like, oh, I'm not spinning because I thought I was spinning in the darkness. And what it is, is they got rid of the light. This is the light. Jesus is the light. He's on the cross. It's not a crossless Christianity. It's about being selfless right? They got rid of this and now they're stumbling around and they're breaking all kinds of relationships around them. And here, 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 here's their problem. This is their problem. The cross is about where we lose ourselves so the relationship can live. That's how any relationships live. We lose ourselves. We can't hang on to ourselves. This is how any broken, any of your broken relationships, as I said earlier, if you have a broken relationship and it's now whole, this is what you did. Early on in, in, in my marriage, you know, with Krista, we would, we would have these disagreements. And, and sometimes they would last for hours or even last for days to the point that I couldn't even remember the topic of what we were talking about. But what's the one thing I did remember? I remembered that it's not mainly my fault. I remembered that it's mainly her fault. And I just dug in and I hung on. You know what I'm saying? And then finally, you know, you kind of go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, I said, okay, okay, look, here's the deal. I will accept 10% of this issue, okay? But 90% is yours. And what I'm hanging, I'm hanging on. Because getting rid of your selfish self, right? That pride, man, it hurts. Man, it hurts. And then finally, she'd negotiate me at like 20% or 25% or whatever. But you know what? But we never reconciled until I just said, I'm wrong. And please forgive me. And I did this. I confess. I, I admit. I take ownership of bump, 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 all these things. And that was wrong. And it was selfish. And blah, blah. That's the only way to reconcile. That's just the way it works. And if you have a relationship that's broken, it's not getting fixed. It's not being reconciled unless you follow those tried and true. It's just the path. This is just, this is just the way life works, everybody. This is just highly practical. This is how things work. How we get along. Okay? And if we don't, the relationship grows cold and we are traveling towards darkness unless we didn't. Some of you might be here this morning like, yeah, I know. I had a situation happen last week, last year, last decade. 
and we have never resolved it. We never took that simple but difficult but painful path. We're calling this message today fight song. You remember your, you remember your school's fight song? All right, anybody remember your school's fight song? I went to Bishop Ireton. It was something like rah, 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 sis, kumba, Ireton, cardinals, rah, rah. It was something like it was our fight song. What's the purpose of a fight song? The purpose is to rally a group of people towards one mission. Jesus is a rebel. This is his great rebellion. He is, he is swimming against the flow of self-centeredness. The way the world operates, look out for yourself. And he's giving himself away for all of us to reconcile us. So he's, he's there. He's done it. He's done his part. And he's extending that to, he's extending that to all of us. It's his great, and he's inviting us. He says, I give, I've given you all of my followers a ministry of reconciliation. I'm inviting you to be a part of this fight song, to to swim upstream, to go against the flow. And what these anti, Christ people were doing here in first John is they were like, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep swimming with the flow. We're going to swim with the flow. That's what we want to do. And it was leading them to total, total, total darkness. It was, it was terrible. So we get busy. We get distracted. We tend to fall back to whoever we are by nature, right? And by nature, we want to remove this thing. That's what we want to do at Yale. In 2011, during Holy Week at Yale, somebody put a cross up at Holy Week at Yale, and at the top it had R-O-F-L, rolling on the floor laughing. It's a joke. You know what? It could be a joke because there's just a tremendous misunderstanding about what this really represents. Hey, everybody, you know how you get world peace? Now, a lot of times speakers say this, don't send me an email. Here's my deal this morning. You found another way to reconcile relationships other than this? Please, I beg of you to email me because I'm tired of dying to myself. It's killing me, all right? So help a brother out this morning and tell me that there's another way that relationships are restored, reconciled, resurrected, restored, reborn, rebirthed other than this. I please want to know about it. I've got to find it. There must be another way. But this is how it happens. And I figure there must be just a great misunderstanding of whoever put that cross up and said, I'm rolling on the floor laughing because that, that, that is the path to world peace. It's just the way. This is the way relationships work. It's how every relationship that has ever been restored has find itself restored. But we get busy. We get distracted. We get into ourselves. We get into our own nature, right? And then we forget. And we start arguing. Well, what way is the right way? Or Jesus says he's the only way. Or what about this? Or what about that? Or what about that religion? Or what about that philosophy? What about, about? And we just argue. And we're just lost. And we're lost for the fact that what Jesus Christ is about is how to be reconciled, not how to be better. How to be reconciled. He's about relationships. He's not about rank. Are you reading his story through that lens? Because that's the lens in which he is reading the story. There's a guy I read about this recently. He wanted a parrot. He lived alone, wanted somebody to talk to him. So he thought, you know what? I'll get a parrot. So he goes to the uh, pet store to get this parrot. He says, look, um, I want a parrot, and I need you to guarantee me that this parrot's going to talk to me. I want a talking parrot. Like, don't sell me, don't sell me no parrot that doesn't talk. All right? Are we clear? Yes. We have the perfect parrot for you. This parrot won't shut up. I mean, it just talks constantly. So, guys, it's great. That's my parrot. He buys the parrot, okay? 
Brings the parrot home, got the cage, you know, got the little bar across that the parrot stands on. He's like looking at the parrot, talk, right? Parrot's not talking. So this goes on for a couple days. And he's like, what is the deal with this parrot? So he goes back down to the pet shop. He says, look, I've had this parrot. I had him home a couple days. The parrot's not saying a word. I bought a talking parrot. What's this? He says, what, did you, did you get the parrot the little ladder? You know, you go up and down the ladder. I mean, you got to have the ladder. That, that parrot, you know, you know, it's a little sensitive. He needs the ladder to talk. All right, I'll take the ladder. She buys the ladder, comes home, puts the ladder in. Boom, parrot's going up and down the ladder. Parrot's not talking. This goes on for another number of days. What is the deal? So now he goes back to the store and says, this parrot's not talking. What is the deal? Did you get the swing? You got to get the swing. You got to get the swing for the parrot. Parrot sits on the swing. He likes likes the swing. He's motion. He'll just just go crazy. Okay, give me the swing. Gets the swing. Now we're at a week. He's at a week and the parrot is just not talking. So he storms into the pet store. I bought the parrot. You promised we'd talk. I've got the swing. I've got the ladder. The guy says, did you buy the mirror? He had a mirror. The parrot likes to see himself. He looks at it, sees himself in the mirror. He's like, ah, yes. And he, he just starts talking. Like he's talking to himself. He sees the mirror, loosens him up, get the mirror. So he gets the mirror. Comes home. Parrot's still not talking. This goes on. We're up to almost two weeks now, everybody. We've got the ladder. We've got the swing, right? We've got all this apparatus. The parrot. So he storms in the pet store. Man, I, I've done everything, right? I got the ladder. I got the swing, the mirror. I've got all this, and this parrot is still not talking. And the guy says, sir, so that parrot used to talk like crazy all the time. Are you mean to tell me that the parrot hadn't said one word? He said, well, he has said something. He's laying now at the bottom of the cage, looks like he's getting ready to die. And the only thing he says is, don't they have any food at that pet store? See, we can get so busy with ladders and swings and stuff that we forget. And then we start arguing with people. What is Christianity about? How do you think you have the only way? How dare you say that's the only way? Or someone's like, well, maybe, but I'm not sure. It's about the football. Now, this is what I want to say. Here's what's helped me immensely. I've thought about this a long time. This whole thing about Jesus Christ, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, reconciled to the Father, but, but, but through him. All right, he's the way. Now, I want you to imagine yourself. You're standing in front of your neighbor. And I hope, I think God wants all of us to know who our neighbors are and know their names and pray for them. So if you're a churchgoer, if you're a, if you're, a, if you're a follower of Christ, I just think that's probably God's will. That's all, that's all part of relationship and what he wants to be. I hope you know your neighbors and I hope you pray for them by name. So let's just say you're in a conversation with your neighbor and they're asking you, hey, you know, so what is this Christianity thing really all about? And what is this about? What is this exclusive thing about? It's the only, you know, this is the only way. I just think that's, that's offensive. Or let's say you're on TV and a newscaster has put that in front of you. Okay, answer, follower of Jesus, Bible-believing person is the only way. I usually see that question answered in three different ways. When I watch interviews or I watch people around a table answer that question, right? Three general ways. Number one way is no. No, he's not. There are many, many other ways, right? Or there's no way at all. But no, the answer is no. Number two, yes, clearly. And you better get on board or you're in trouble, right? So, you know, maybe sometimes it's given in kind of a little, some, not all the time, but sometimes it can be given kind of a judgment. And then there's a third way. Yes, but. Yes, but. So there's no, there's yes, and there's yes, but. And the yes, but is yes, but it's my way. It's my truth. It's what's true for me. It's not true for you. Right. You might have a different truth, but here's my truth. So I see it answered, right? And that's always when you're looking through this lens. How to be better. 
I want to find a better way. I want to find a better philosophy. I want to find a better way. What works for me might not work for you, whatever. That's exclusive. I don't like it. How to be better. But we're not looking through that lens because that's not the lens Jesus is talking about. It's not what Christianity is about. It's not what he keeps talking about over and over again. It's not about how to be better. It's about how to be reconciled. It's about how to have a relationship with anybody, including God. It's not about rank. It's about relationship. So let's do it. Let's put on a different lens. Let's put on this lens of, oh, Oh, this is about how to be reconciled. So you say to your neighbor, now you don't have to like, oh, oh my gosh, let me try to convince them or I'm near, ah, this is my belief. Well, you don't have to do any of that. Now you're just at peace. You're just calm, right? Pretty confident, you know, and you say, it's the way relationships work, right? It's the way your relationship works. You already believe this, neighbor, News interviewer person. It's the way your relationship works. What Jesus says is he's all about relationships. He's all about reconciliation. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what this is really all about is that relationships are reconciled when you follow his way, his way of selflessness, of letting go of pride. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, something big is not born again. If you put a seed in the ground, right, and out pops this big apple tree, you dig down into the ground, you won't find that seed. That seed transformed. It died. It became something else so something greater could live. Tell me, neighbor or interviewer, when you have a relationship that is broken and it's become restored, how did it happen? Oh, well, you know, I had to own up to my stuff and they had to own up their stuff and we had to let pride go and we had to be selfless and we had to let the relationship be restored. Ah, bingo, that's this. Do you understand what I just said? That's this. This just makes practical sense. This is just the way all relationships work. There's no need for, oh, Jesus is better than your way. There's no need for that. There's no need for awkward. There's no need for, well, this truth and this truth and this. There's no need for that. There's no need for that. This is the way every relationship in the world has ever been reconciled. There is no other way, and it is the way of Christ. It's losing yourself. It's letting go of your pride. It's being selfless, not selfish. It's letting it go. And when we do that, the relationship's restored. Do you have a relationship in your life right now that needs to be restored? You have one that's been broken. Has it been broken for a week or a month or a decade? No, this is a great day to think about restoring that relationship and allowing it to live again, allowing it to be reborn, praying that it would. Now, maybe some of us are saying, you know what, the other party is just unwilling. Okay, all right. At least in your relationship with God, we know that this party here is willing. Willing. And it really comes down to it. If you're here this morning, like, no, I'm not a follower of Christ. I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But maybe there's been a great misunderstanding. Maybe like at that Yale cross rolling on the floor laughing, there's been a great misunderstanding of exactly what Christianity is all about. Jesus in his own words will tell you this is what he's really all about. Forget all the other stuff. Forget all the other stuff. This is what it's really all about. It's about reconciling. He has reconciled us us to God through his selflessness, and he's offering us, will you please, will you please go ahead and let go of yourself? Will you go ahead and confess that, yes, we all have selfish behavior. I have selfish behavior. I admit it. Would you accept me? Would you reconcile me to the Father? 
Well, maybe some of us are here today and you'd really like to be reconciled with somebody and um, they're unwilling and you need somebody to pray with you. Man, relationships are really hard. After, I'll tell you, right after prayer wall, right here, we do it. We pray. We believe for a miracle that if you're there willing to reconcile and the other party is not, that they would be willing, that God would do a deep work in both of your hearts, as God has done in my heart over and over and over again, when I've hung on to my pride and I say, look, I'll take 10% or 20%, but there's no way I'm taking 100% because I'm hanging, hanging, hanging on. So here's the thing. Here's what we need, everybody. And this is what this sermon of First John is about. You need a target and you need a team. You need a target and a team. So in football, right, if you have the wrong target, there's going to be a problem. So there's an end zone in football, right? And if your team is running towards the wrong end zone, this is a bad thing. For those who don't like sports, running towards the wrong end zone is a bad thing, right? Would every, with sports fans, would you agree? Thank you. So just fundamental. This is just the basics. You don't want to run towards the wrong end zone. You want to run towards the end zone that is yours. So here, here's the target. Don't take this out of your life with God or your life with other people because it's a surefire way to kill all your relationships. The wages of sin is death. Selfish behavior kills relationships, period. You've experienced that. It's probably a little bit silent in this room right now because you're thinking about the hurt and pain that you've experienced in your own life, maybe from a parent, maybe from a friend, maybe from a romantic partner, maybe from a spouse, I don't know, maybe a coworker, maybe a boss, but you've experienced the pain of tremendous selfish behavior and it's left deep scars on you. We need the right target. Lastly, we need the right team. We played a video here just a few moments ago about signing up for a community group. And I'm going to tell you why I think it's important. The group I'm in, we get a lot wrong. There's one thing we get right. We pray. We pray. We need prayer. That's why I mentioned the prayer team a few moments ago. You need to join a team. You need to get in a team, a group of people who are headed toward the same target who will pray with you because it takes help from Almighty God. I need help to be selfless. I need power to be selfish because I'm a selfish, self-centered person. And when that comes out, as it often does, it strains all of my relationships around me, particularly the ones that are closest to me. We need help. We need pair. We need, we need a team that's all running in the same direction together. Okay? So I encourage you to sign up for a team. I want to end with a story about a really, really interesting guy. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay? He's German. You probably picked that up by the name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, uh, brilliant. Lived in the early 1900s, was actually killed in a Nazi concentration camp at the age of 39. Brilliant theologian. So here's the deal with Bonhoeffer uh, from a very wealthy family. Very wealthy, very privileged family. Very, very smart family. Very, very well-connected very well-connected family. His father was the leading neurologist and psychiatrist in all of Germany. That was his dad. His brother was chief legal officer for Lufthansa. He had another brother who was splitting atoms with Einstein. So we're talking about somebody who's very privileged, very wealthy, very well-connected. He earned his Ph.D. by the age of 21. He's brilliant himself. And at a very early age, he saw right through Hitler. No, when you think about Germany and what Germany was going through at that time after World War I, they kind of got decimated. They got embarrassed. 
the value of their currency plummeted. There was poverty galore that was going on. And you had somebody come along and say, you're great. We're going to be good. We're going to do so much better. Don't put any political stuff to this, please. Give me a break. Okay. You have somebody coming along like that. People just rallied. And man, the church played a big role in this. Like Hitler was going after the church big time to try to woo them in. There's worship services and many of, the, many of the party leaders in Nazi, they went to churches and there was like swastikas in the church and they were all just worshiping God. But look, 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 everybody, it started out this way that we need to rebuild. We need to pick ourselves up. But Bonhoeffer saw something. He saw a a crossless church that was developing. He spent some time here in America, in New York City. He was teaching at Union Theological uh, Seminary in New York City. And he was thinking, 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 what is going on here? And he says, you know what? The German church has one missing ingredient. We've forgotten about selflessness. We've forgotten the one key thing that Christianity is all about. It's all about selflessness. And if we keep following this path, we're going to break relationships all over the place. And we're going to be running towards the darkness, not towards the light. Well, once he realizes, you know, that sees that Hitler is elected and sees the way this is going, he has spoken out, you know, against Hitler. You know, and Hitler, Hitler would say things like, you know, I, why did Christianity have to come in Ger- to Germany? So, so Christianity has deep roots, right? Martin Luther, the Reformation, deep roots in Germany. And Hitler was like, why? And why was he upset with it? Why, why couldn't we have any other religion in Germany? Why couldn't we have any other state religion in Germany? Why couldn't we have any other philosophy, any other thing other than Christianity? Because its meekness is a weakness. Its selflessness is fighting against what I'm trying to accomplish. Isn't this fascinating? So uh, once the, it was done and Hitler's in power, all of a sudden Bonhoeffer makes this switch, at least on the outside. He gets involved in a high-stakes game of deception. He becomes a double agent. Yes, a theologian. He's a pastor. He's a pastor. And a theologian. And he becomes a double agent in this battle against Hitler. So when Germany overthrows France, like Bonhoeffer's up on a table. He's like cheering, yay, yay, because he wants to put this out there. He's living. He is doing as Martin Luther said. He is sinning boldly for the cause of Christ. Sinning boldly for the cause of Christ. Because he thinks that this leader has to be stopped, Hitler. So the Nazis take him in as an agent because they send him overseas. He's traveling all over the world because they think he's gathering intel for them. And the whole time what he's doing is he's working as a double agent and he's telling the whole world, this is what he's doing. He's giving all this stuff away. Some of us who are familiar with the history of the whole thing, you know that there was a bomb that was placed on Hitler's plane. It was a dud. Those bombs are never duds. Maybe there's something to spiritual warfare. I don't know. Those bombs are never duds and the bomb never went off and so Hitler survived. That bomb was delivered in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's father's car. That's how involved that this theologian was in this whole battle along with a bunch of other people. The overcoat bomb, right? One of the officers had this bomb. Bonhoeffer was involved in that. Tom Cruise did a movie called Valkyrie. Anybody see Valkyrie? Right? That's Bonhoeffer. He was in the middle of that. And when that bomb went off and now we knew They investigated. Bonhoeffer was arrested 
and months before the war was over, he was killed. It was a great loss for the church because he was a brilliant, he was a brilliant theologian. I want to, before he died, he wrote this. Just listen closely. This is what all of Christianity is about. This is what all of life is about. This is what all relationships are about. This is what he says, quote, if I were to determine where God is to be found, then I shall always find a God who corresponds to me in some way, who is obliging to me, connected to my own nature. But if God determines where he is to be found, then it will be a place not immediately pleasing to my nature. And this place is the cross of Christ, the place of selflessness. This is not according to my nature. It is entirely contrary, contrary to it. But it is, a mess- it is the message of the Bible. And I shall like to tell you now quite personally, since I've learned to read the Bible in this way, that it becomes every day more and more wonderful to me. This is not about being better, everybody. This is about how to be reconciled. It's about a relationship. And relationships that are reconciled only function one, one, one way. We all know this. Your neighbors know it. Your coworkers know it. People on the other side of this great, big, beautiful planet know it. We all know it. Relationships only get reconciled one way. Are you reconciled with God? Here's the only way to reconcile with God. You have to let it go. You're going to have to, we're told in First John in the sermons is you won't confess. You just try to cover up and say, no, we don't have any selfish behavior. Here's how we get reconciled with God. Yes. Yes, I do. It's my nature. It's who I am. Jesus, you're selfish. I'm selfish. I'm admitting it. I confess it. Would you forgive me? And would I want to accept you as my Savior, and that's how you're reconciled. And if you haven't done that today, I encourage you. If you're watching online, you haven't done that, please do that. How about somebody else? You have a broken relationship. You're going to need God's help. And this is what I want to pray about in conclusion. Reconciliation with God and reconciliation with others. you got a family member. You have a friend. You have a former friend. Something's broken. Your heart's wounded. God, give us strength. He is a ministry of reconciliation, and he is giving us a ministry of reconciliation, and this is what it's all about. If you're watching online, you can click the prayer button, and somebody will pray with you. If you're here in the room, we'd be glad to pray with you over here. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we have talked about something utterly essential and incredibly important this morning. All of us in this room have relationships that are broken. Almighty God, please help us. Have mercy upon us and help us to find reconciliation. Help us to be able to let go. Help the other person to be able to let go so that our relationship can be restored. And for those of us in the room, for right now, for the first time, All of a sudden, Jesus Christ and the cross made sense. It's not about being better. It's about reconciliation. For all of us who are praying that prayer right now, yep, oh, I admit it. Yes, yes, I have selfish ways. I confess it and accept you, Jesus, as Savior. God, may your presence, may your spirit fall upon this place and resurrect our relationship with you and each other for the good. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless everybody. Thank you for being here today. See you next week.